Welcome everyone to the Sister Stories podcast. This podcast is aimed at marveling at God's sovereignty in each of our lives as women and at encouraging one another via our stories. My name is Sophie and today I am joined by Anne. Hello. Hi Anne, um, thank you for joining us. Um, so so um, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yes, so um, I'm Anne. I am nearly 60 Big birthday next year. Wow. Just putting it out there. Um, <laughs> I have been at Cornerstone Church, or the church that has developed into Cornerstone Church, um, almost since it started. Um, so my husband, Pete, is the senior pastor here, although he wasn't at the beginning, but he, became at the, he came at the beginning of the church. Mm. And I came with our daughter, Jerusha, a year later from the church where we had been previously. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been a Christian for probably about 45 years Um, and I now work part-time as a proofreader at the Good Book Company, which is a Mm. local Christian publishing company. Mm, Great, thank you. Um, So obviously we're going to be talking about your journey to faith in Christ. Um, So starting off with your family background, could you tell us a little bit about that, what it was like? Uh, growing up with your family? Sure. Okay. So I grew up in a Christian family and um, actually my my Christian family goes back to my great grandfather who uh, was converted, I think, out of a, a completely non-Christian, non-church attending family, as far as I know, mm. and uh, who became um, a, a real passionate follower of Jesus and uh, went into ministry. I found out a little bit recently about him and it's really interesting because he started out as an evangelist Mm. um, in the Windsor area, which of course is where Pete grew up (laughs) and Pete started his ministry as an evangelist. Um, He went on to minister in a Baptist church in Ashford in Middlesex Mm -hmm. and that's where um, my nephew and niece, Chris and Sarah Tilly, grew up. And uh, he then ended up um, and had a very fruitful ministry um, at a church in Twickenham, which is actually where Bernadette, Chris's wife, comes from. So it's just really fascinating. (laughs) There's all these links, you know, sort of about Mm -hmm. 100 years later. Um, uh, I I just wonder what it would be like for him uh, to know that four generations on, Mm -hmm. you know, the places where he ministered, um, have been associated with people in his family who are still Christians. Mm. Uh, so he had a huge influence on the family. They had about 10 children. Um, many, uh, all of them except one were believers um, and a number of them went into ministry, including my grandfather. My grandfather was the pastor of a small church um, in Ham, which is between Kingston and Richmond. So you can see I'm, I'm very local. <laughs> yeah. And um, he wasn't a full-time pastor because it was a very small church. He worked as a bank manager, but um, he pastored the church. And that's the church that I grew up in with my grandmother and my great-aunt and my uncle and my aunt. And so um, it was a very family-centered uh, church yeah. for us. Um, in fact, our family probably constituted about half the church. Um, I and my two sisters were the only children that were 
attending the services, although mm. there was a lot of children who came in for the Sunday school. Mm. And um, yes, what, what you have to understand is that through the 20th century, um, the culture was changing. People were giving up going to church, giving up reading the Bible. And uh, Christians started to feel very besieged. Mm. Um, and many churches became like the church at Ham. They became quite small, quite close-knit, rather separated from the modern culture. And that was certainly true of my family. So it was a traditional uh, church, uh, which meant that when we attended the service, uh, girls wore hats, girls didn't wear jeans or trousers. We didn't go to the cinema. As my grandmother used to say, <laughs> it's the cinema, <laughs> which always makes Pete laugh. Um, <laughs> and even little things like the cards we played with, we were allowed to play with playing cards that have pictures on them, but not the classic deck of cards that is used for gambling yeah so it was yeah. very sort of um yeah the way we lived was very separatist mm. and then on top of that we were involved in so many things on Sunday we lived at Walton on Thames which was over half an hour's drive away uh that we we would go to the church for Sunday morning service um and then there was an afternoon Sunday school and then there were old people's home services and then there was an evening service and there was no time to go back home. Yeah. So we camped out all day in the back of this rather inadequate church building. Yeah. Mm. And that mm. was our Sunday. That's that's really amazing that from the beginning you were very influenced by by probably hearing hearing the gospel actually quite early on. What were your perceptions of um what it was like to come to church? Was it was it just something you had to do? Or did you actually enjoy it and benefit from it? But sort of both, I suppose. Mm. <laughs> um, we knew we had to come. Um, mm. You're right. We, we learned about the Bible from a, a, a very young age. We learned the gospel about Jesus. Uh, there were parts of it that I enjoyed. Mm. I, I really loved my uncle and he was very gifted in his relationships with people. And he ran the Sunday school. Um, you know, I liked being with my family. It was the life I knew and children are quite mm. accepting of the life they know. Yeah. Um, and I I know that I've been very privileged because I know that people have been praying for me all my life, uh, probably going back to my great grandfather, actually. Um, I know that um, I've I've never been ignorant of the good news of Jesus mm. and I've never doubted it, actually. I've never doubted the truth of it. And they were sincere, believing, Bible-believing Christians. I know that. But the way it sort of landed in my life mm. was it, 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 it felt like um, a subculture, that you had yeah. to follow these rules that was very different from the way that all my friends lived. Mm. And that was the thing that I found difficult. And um, as a young child... It, it wasn't so much of a problem. But as I grew older, that became the really pressing issue mm. for me. Yeah. yeah. And that was difficult. Mm. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about that change um, in your life when you started to perceive that people were doing things differently from you and when that became more problematic for you? Yeah. So so it was round about um, the end of middle school. So where we lived in Walton and Hersham. <coughs> 
we had the middle school system, which um, meant that you went to secondary school at the age of around about 12 or 13. And it was around about that time that it became more difficult. So uh, my very tight-knit group of friends, six girls, suddenly when we went to secondary school started to change. Mm. They became interested in boys, uh, talking to boys, uh, which was a thing that I had no idea how to start doing. Um, they started going out. Mm. They, they got into fashion. They got into pop music. Uh, they went to see films. They watched things on TV that I never saw. We did watch TV, but we only watched BBC and they watched the other channels. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I didn't, I, they watched soap operas and I didn't know what was going on in the soap operas. And so it became more and more difficult. I, I became very quiet about what I did on Sunday. Mm. And then I just became very quiet yeah. because I didn't know how to join in these conversations. Mm. And so in the end, uh, I just stopped talking. Yeah. And I followed them around. And they, they kind of allowed me to do that, which is strange. <laughs> but, you know, I'd been around with them for so long, I suppose. Um, I, I do remember sometimes they would sort of turn around and say, why don't you ever talk to us? And mm. why are you still following us around? Just occasionally, but mostly they just accepted me. But I, I would say probably for about three years, I said hardly anything at school unless a teacher spoke to me mm. and then I, then I would answer them. But I, I couldn't offer any conversation, any contribution mm. To my friends, I was just there. I don't know if you've ever seen um, Gregory's Girl. Um, I haven't actually. It's a brilliant film. Yeah. Well, that's a bunch of boys who are friends, mm. and there's a silent kid in that film. In fact, mm. I think he speaks for the first time right at the very end of the film. And when I see that kid, um, I I see myself. Mm, yeah. I see. Yeah. Yeah. How did that? How did you feel about that? Because that must be. I mean, I had moments in school, not exactly the same, but. Felt, that felt a little bit similar to that. But um, I wonder how, how that made you feel. I felt um, I just didn't know what to do about it. Mm. I never told anybody about it. I never told my parents about it. I mean, that was oddly, although I, you know, although we were Christians and we believed in the gospel, we didn't know how to talk about our feelings mm. in, in our family. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this story, which I don't often tell, but um, this was something that happened right at the end of middle school. In fact, it might have set the tone for this period mm. of three years, um, which was that my friends um, <coughs> wanted to do a dance club. They wanted to do a kind of dance drama. Mm. And because we always did everything together, um, I said, um, yes, I would join it as well because I, I couldn't imagine not doing something that my friends were doing. But I was kind of already uncomfortable with it because it was dancing. And mm. as you can imagine, dancing was probably on the list of no-nos. <laughs> anyway, we, we did one performance and it went really well. I can't remember what it was about. Teddy Bear's Picnic, something like that. I don't know. Um, and then they really begged to be able to do another performance. And so the drama teacher uh, said, why don't we do something for Easter? And um, she then said, why don't we do the Easter story, the story of Jesus and his trial? 
And then, you, you, you know, I was really starting to panic because I thought, this, this is not going to go down well at home. Mm. Yeah. But I, I couldn't say anything to my friends. I couldn't say anything to the teacher. And I couldn't say anything at home. So I just carried on going mm. to these dance rehearsals. And then she cast us in the different roles. And I was the tallest at that time uh, because I was pretty much at 12, the height that I am now. So I was sort of towering above everybody else. Mm. And she said, Anne, you're the tallest. You need to be Jesus. So you can imagine what that felt like. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> So I just carried on. I thought, I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I didn't tell my friends. I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell the teacher. Um, my mum did ask me once about it. What, what is this dance performance you're going to be doing? And I just said, oh, it's a secret, because I didn't know how to explain to her. And uh, we came to the performance. They invited the whole family. My grandparents were there. My, my great aunt was there. <laughs> um, and I did this dance performance, you know, mm. and I thought, what is going to happen afterwards? I had no idea. And afterwards, nobody <coughs> said anything. And I went home and I thought, surely they're going to say to me, what did you think you were doing? Mm. And nobody said anything. And in fact, nobody ever said anything. Wow. And, you know, that kind of made it worse mm. for me. Uh, so I spent years and years feeling utterly guilty about that. Um, but I think you can see from that that I just didn't feel that I could talk to my family about mm. the fact that I couldn't talk to anyone, you know. So it actually paralyzed me from talking to my family as well as to my mm. friends. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it was some kind of depression or I don't know, or anxiety thing. I don't know what they would call it now, I'm sure. Somebody I'm sure there's notice, a name for it now. You know, but nobody noticed in those days. So I just I just stuck it out, yeah. really. Yeah. Mm, that's really interesting. Um, I wonder what brought you out of that period of time, whether there was some connection with your friends that was somehow renewed or um or with your family even or, or something else. Um, I think the thing that brought it out was probably I mean, there were a, a few things, but the main thing was that things fell apart at the church in Ham. Mm. My grandfather had died, um, and then it was down to my father and my uncle, and there was a, an, another family. And I, mm. I, I, nobody's ever told me what happened, but there was some kind of rift. Mm. And I think my family just felt that they travel uh, from Walton Thames and Hampton all the way to Ham every Sunday. And uh, this church just wasn't working and it was time to call it a day and move to another church. Mm. So uh, we started looking for another church and um, my parents decided, uh, why don't we try Hook Evangelical Church in mm. Surbiton? So we went there. Um, we walked in on a Sunday morning, three girls wearing br brimmed hats, you know. <laughs> it was all very conspicuous. <laughs> Everybody noticed us because nobody else was wearing hats, of course. Um, Hook was a much more normal church than we were. Um, and afterwards, um, the, the, the young people, especially some of the boys, were mm. really quite interested to come and chat to us. And they were really lovely bunch of mm. kids actually they, they were just nice you know yeah. and uh, really interested in us and uh, when we got home 
I am my sister. This is so uncharacteristic. But we went in to my mum and dad and we said, um, we don't want to go to any other church. We want to go to this church. Mm. And um, my mum knew that it was because we'd met other young people mm. who go to church, which was yeah. a first for us. And uh, she persuaded my dad, I think, that mm. we should go to this church. And so we started going to Hook Church. And um, I think I had already become a Christian mm. because I had reached the point. I always knew that um, there is no hope in the face of death without the good news of Jesus. Mm. I'd always known that. And I think um, it was perhaps in the year before we left Ham that I'd become a Christian. I remember I told my dad after weeks of agonizing about it because we, we were the family that never talked about anything. Mm. I said to him one evening as we were driving home, I think I'm a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say to that? <laughs> and he was, I noticed that he was pleased. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's really and good. he said, oh, well, that's, that's, that's great, you know, and uh, keep going. He didn't really know what to say, but he was, I could see he was pleased about it. And mm. that was a big encouragement. So I think I had become a Christian. But when we went to this church where there were these other young people and the minister at the time, Brian Edwards, used to gather the young people quite often on a Sunday evening after the service at his house. Mm. And he would say, does anybody have a question? And you could ask any question you wanted about a Bible passage, about lifestyle, about something that was going on in the news, anything you wanted, mm. you could ask. And he would then say, how are we going to answer this question from the Bible? Mm. And he would get us all suggesting verses and passages and things. And he would guide us through all of that uh, until we'd come up with um, an answer from the Bible, which was brilliant because it taught yeah. me that the Bible has something to say about anything in life. Yeah. And it gave me this great confidence in the Bible. And I felt my questions were taken seriously, and I, I, I asked a lot of questions there. Mm. <laughs> if, if nobody else had a question, I always had one. Um, and I was interacting with other people my, my mm. own age, and it just took off from there. <laughs> and then at school, I moved into sixth form, mm. and mm. the sixth form of that school was very small. It was a completely different atmosphere. You know, we felt like a little, a little family in, in our sixth form common room. Um, the teachers treated us differently. And again, that just really helped me. And mm -hmm. so I sort of came out of that weird time of not speaking to anyone. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And mm. I think it's, again, a great testament to the church and how nurturing it can be of, of young people and, and people in general, of, of bringing people together and actually finding that friendship with other young people there. It's really oh, amazing. it was just a revolution in my yeah. life. It was amazing. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. that's great. So um, you touched a little bit about becoming a Christian, and so around fifteen, right? Wasn't it? So yeah, yeah, probably nearer sixteen. Oh, yeah, I think it was probably yeah. sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole process of becoming a Christian was um, agonizing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was first kicked off when I was about 12 mm. by a preacher who it was a visiting preacher who came to the church at Ham yeah and um afterwards uh he he just sort of sidled up to me afterwards when we were all chatting at the back and he said um are you a Christian 
And um, I was quite cross about this. Nobody asked me those sorts of questions, you know. Mm. I felt really sort of put on the spot. But I just knew I couldn't say yes because I mm. knew I wasn't. So I said no. And he said, oh, because I, I saw you singing and I, I just didn't know if you were or not. That's all he said. Mm. And then he disappeared out of my life and I can't even remember what his name was, you know. <laughs> but it really unsettled me, yeah. Mm. And... um I think when I finally spoke to my dad, I'd spent a few months before that, um, every sort of Sunday evening, praying to be a Christian and then spending the following week trying to be a Christian, you know, feeling that I'd failed. Mm. Um, and then the following Sunday, doing it all over again, praying mm. to Jesus to save me again, this time properly. Um, and that's why it took me so long to tell my dad because um I felt once I told my dad I was locked in to yeah. <laughs> to being a, and, and don't forget I hadn't actually moved to Hook Church mm, then yes of course so yeah. I felt I was locked into the kind of life that I'd grown up with in my family so that mm. that was a bit of a battle yeah yeah right okay yeah. so Obviously, you have stayed in the Kingston area amazingly, which is great. Um, but you met Pete. Uh, I wonder how that happened. So oh, right. <laughs> it's not that interesting, really. <laughs> really? In, in that, um, um, I, well, I went away to Canterbury to university. So I was away for three years. Um, moved back home because I got a job in London. Hmm. And um, I, I became a youth leader at Hook hmm. Evangelical Church. Um, and we had an assistant pastor who then moved on and Brian Edwards, the minister, um, decided, uh, he would like, instead of getting another assistant pastor, he thought he, he wanted to kind of revive the old, the uh, new Testament gift of evangelist. Hmm. And so he said, to the, you know, he, uh, he said to the church and, and the elders kind of agreed, why don't we get a, an evangelist? Hmm find someone who can be an evangelist and Pete at that time was working with a, a, a group of evangelists that we'd used in various missions and things that we'd done he was kind of like their trainee mm. and um, in fact he came and stood in for one of the the the, the other evangelists the main evangelists um, when they came to do something at our church and so that's where Brian met Pete and it the timing was all you know, just perfect. And uh, he he asked Pete if he would like to be an evangelist mm. at Hook Evangelical Church, which meant that uh, Pete, uh, he took um, over, he took on overall leadership of the youth group, mm. but he wasn't always around because um, he was traveling about doing missions at other churches and even yeah. at universities and mm. and all that kind of thing. So he traveled around a lot. But because I was also a youth leader there, um, we probably, you know, were sort of thrown together um, a bit for about probably, yeah, I would imagine a year. Mm. And then we started going out. Yeah. I see. Yeah. And the rest is history. Yeah, exactly. As they say. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so, um I feel like we've really explored a lot about your background and everything. But um, more recently, especially in the last couple of years and with COVID and, and all the disruptions we've had, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about um, what the Lord has shown you in this time, what you have learned uh, through this time. 
Well, of course, yes. I mean, it's been such an interesting time, really, mm, and yeah. completely unforeseen. I, I just remember back in very early 2020, I heard a guy on the radio saying, in, the, in future years, we're going to talk about uh, before coronavirus and after coronavirus. <laughs> and I actually said to Pete, what is he talking about, you know? <laughs> And of course, he was absolutely right. You know, yeah. I think we will sort of see this as a kind of a watershed. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I, I guess the, the really big things, there's a, there's a, a couple of them. But uh, one, I suppose, is just the preciousness of uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, which is people, you know, which is a family, as, as we're always saying here yeah. at Cornerstone. And it's absolutely true. Um, just the, the preciousness of being able to meet together, to be free, to worship our Savior, mm. um, to remind ourselves of the good news, to share bread and wine, to sing, to see the children, yeah. uh, to watch people serving one another, to see people comforting one another. All of that just suddenly disappeared, you know. Mm. And um, of course, you know, the church leaders work so hard to help us feel that we were still part of a family. You know, all those mad... Uh, do you remember the home group challenges that we yes, did? Yes, you know? we never took part in these challenges oh, right. in my home group, sadly. <laughs> I wish we had, but we did the plank challenge and all of that. Yeah, the plank challenge, um, <laughs> the acts of kindness, all of those things are just mm. really designed to to help us remember that we're part of a family. And even although we couldn't see each other physically... Mm. Um, you know, to keep on praying for one another and, um, you know, and then the joy of being able to stand together in a freezing cold church and not sing, but clap. I don't know if you remember the clapping yes, face. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. we couldn't and sing. And then so singing we very clap. quietly afterwards. Yes. <laughs> then it was sing quietly behind your mask. Yeah. yeah. And um, it was really moving, you yeah, know, and was, the reason yeah. it was moving is because we hadn't been able to do it. And so I, I, I want to feel that I will never take that for granted again mm. and that I'll never complain about being on rotors and having to go out again on a Sunday evening and, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Probably I will fall into those things again because that's what happens with humans. But, you know, it's really taught me about the church family. Mm. Um, another thing that it's really taught me is about indwelling selfishness and self-righteousness. Mm. Um, just my natural reaction about having to wear face coverings, grumpy, seeing people who don't wear face coverings, self-righteous, uh, mm. seeing those cardboard things that they put around every lamppost that tells you about, you know, um, two meter distancing and yes. washing your hands and all the rest of it. Um, seeing those, those guys, um, behind their podiums every night at five o'clock doing a briefing, <laughs> you know, and how it irritating it became and mm. how easily I became grumpy about things and actually it's not really suffering because you know there are people in the world who don't have enough to eat yeah. um, can't get clean water can't get medical things live in war zones are persecuted for their faith yeah. you know people who are so desperate to leave their country that they would rather you know be sold and cross continents in refrigerated trucks or cross the channel on dinghies that are you know going to sink yeah. mid-channel you know we 
there was I was not suffering, you know, but yeah. I was grumpy and I thought, oh, gosh, that's so interesting. You know, the old nature <laughs> rises up, even with the slightest little restrictions and inconveniences. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that that I really sort of clearly saw that. And then the third thing um, I think was uh, that I... I never feared getting COVID. I always mm. trusted in God's sovereignty and that was such a great comfort. And in fact, you know, it was really interesting to look at the world around mm. and, um, you know, see that people suffer so terribly when they don't have that kind of anchor. Yeah. You know, we, you're, you're, this podcast is about God's sovereignty, isn't it? Marveling it is, yeah. at God's sovereignty. And uh, we, we Christians just have this wonderful privilege of knowing that everything that happens to us happens under the control of someone who loves us more than we can imagine we yeah. are loved. Yeah. That's amazing. That's really helpful to remember, to remember that actually, as you said, in, in that context of everything changing and, and actually I think we all felt grumpy at some point or other about something. Um, people on the bus not wearing the masks anymore, for example. Yep. Uh, that's very easy <laughs> to do, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I think that's really interesting to, to remember that. Um, to finish with, if there was any advice you would like to give to perhaps younger Christians, what, what would you say to them? Probably along the same lines, I would guess. But I would say... Um, Remember where you are heading. Mm. This life is going to end. And who is going to help you at the end? Mm. And, and life goes so quickly. I mean, next yeah. year is my 60th birthday. I'm way over halfway through my life. I can't believe I'm at this point in mm. my life, you know. Um, a, couple, a, f a couple of eye blinks and I'll be where my mother-in-law was this year. Mm. you know, which was yeah. at the end of her life. And um, it is insanity to live and not think about that. Yeah. And Jesus has the words of eternal life. There is no one else that we can go to um, for eternal life, for resurrection, for reconciliation with God and for forgiveness from, from all our sins. And uh, however hard that path is, you know, it's only going to get better. Mm. You know, yeah. if you're not on that path following Jesus, things are only going to get worse. But if you are following Jesus, however hard things are now, the future is the brightest and the best. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Anne, for uh, reminding us of these truths and, and for sharing your story with us. Um, that's all for this episode of Sister Stories, everyone. But join us again next time.